Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 948. The future is coming. Make it brighter with Squarespace. Turn your cool idea into a new website. Showcase some of your work. Blog. Publish your content. Uh, sell products and services of all kind. Announce an upcoming event or special project. Don't just rely on social media, which, you know, can be algorithmically challenging when trying to reach your audience nowadays. You That's don't one know way if to put gonna, it. Yeah, you don't know if it's going to reach the people that are already following you or not. Those companies decide if they're going to let you share the information with the people who've agreed to follow you. Uh, but Squarespace absolutely get you around all that and and they give you beautiful templates created by world-class designers powerful e-commerce functionality the ability to customize the look and the feel and the settings of the products more with just a few clicks everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box and if you want to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions you can do that as well also analytics that help you grow in real time uh seo free and secure hosting nothing to patch or upgrade ever and 24 7 award-winning customer support make it stand out with a beautiful website uh check out squarespace.com slash ID10T. You're going to get a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code ID10T to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That is Squarespace. Um, what do you got for the old uh, community court board? Brian Corley writes, I'm a longtime listener who finally got around to making a thing. My self-published book, Ghost Bully, launched a couple months ago, and I think there may be some listeners who may enjoy it. Here's more on the book. Ghost Bully is kind of like what would happen if you mashed up Dark Shadows with Superbad and would be great for fans of David Wong, Lev Grossman, and Jim Butcher. You can find it on Amazon and more. And then Will Leonard writes, my wife is currently training to do her fourth BPMS 150. The last weekend of April, she will be riding her bike from Houston to Austin. That's 150 miles over two days to help raise money for the MS Society. Uh, what will really put power in her pedals is your support and commitment to those impacted by MS. Every mile we ride brings us closer to a goal, a world free of MS. She would appreciate if you would go to her fundraising site and donate to her cause. It's bit.ly so it's a bit.ly site uh, bit.ly slash ktms150 the money raised will help fund amazing progress in ms research as well as programs and services that ensure people affected by ms can live their best lives the cause is really important to us so i hope you will help her end uh, end ms forever Excellent. Thank you so much, Katie. Also, I'm, uh, I'm performing in uh, Madison, Wisconsin at Comedy on State at the end of April. Uh, Mike Furman and April Richardson will be there. So hope to see you with that. And uh, this episode is Lorraine Newman, who, of course, is a founding cast member of Saturday Night Live yeah. and someone that I have gotten to be friends with over the last few years. Lorraine is fucking awesome. <laughs> she is a comedy lover. Um, she's super cool. Like literally, you know, I, like she would come to, she was coming to comedy shows at Meltdown. She yeah. came to see when I did like my test shows for Fun Comfortable. She came to that. She would come to beta tests. She is an avid supporter of comedy and, and just, I, I just adore her so much. And I was so glad that she came on. And she's a listener of this podcast. She listens to the podcast <laughs> as well. So I'm so, I'm so happy and honored to be friends with this woman because I, She's just cool as shit, Katie. Um, and, you know, Lorraine does a ton of uh, voiceover projects as well. She is, a, you can, you've probably heard her voice in a million things and maybe didn't even realize it. But uh, you can go to her website, wp.lorrainenewman.com, and Lorraine is L A R A I N E. Lorraine Newman. <laughs> it's hard not to say her name that way. It is. It's hard. I mean, whatever. You know, she was, you know, basically, she was just yeah. part of a thing that changed television history. What, whatever. <laughs> you know, just part of a thing that was one of the most influential things in comedy. Probably the most influential thing in comedy 
ever. Yeah. Um, so thanks to Lorraine for coming on. This episode also brought to you by Buffalo Wild Wings. There's a new boss in town at Buffalo Wild Wings, and he deals in bacon. How do you feel about that voice work? I think it's perfect. I feel like that was the I way I was supposed to say it. perfect for this ad. Yeah. Do you think it's good, right? Yeah. I feel like it'd be weird to be like, there's a new boss in town at <laughs> Buffalo Wild Wings, and he deals in bacon. It's like the, <laughs> no, the other, the other one's the winner. It's sure. better, to go, on, better yeah. to go on the nose in yeah. this case, right? Uh, so anyway, the Bacon Boss Burger featuring bacon three different ways and a blanket of white cheese sauce uh, is joined by our other new favorites like the Smothered Cheesesteak Quesadilla, Sweet Chili Shrimp, and Alaska Cod Classic. Hurry in today. Try them all before they're gone at Buffalo Wild Wings. Available for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> now in that, I like to pretend that the this guy started and yeah. this guy wrapped it out. That's you appreciate good. it? Is that I, okay? think that, I think it's perfect. Okay, great. Let's go with it. You would tell me if it Let's didn't work, right? It. Yes. Okay, you paused for a second there. Mm-hmm. No. You didn't pause for a second there? No, you wouldn't tell me. Yes. Shit. Just <laughs> roll the thing. Initiating ID10T protocol. Oh, yeah, that's like we had a recessed light and this like kind of black mold looking stuff started coming from it. And then we're like, oh, shoot, maybe there's a like a leak in this, the roof and it's just been building in the ceiling. And so we were doing had to open the ceiling. Well, it's like it's like, yeah, we called someone to check it out and they came and it all it was was like this like a uh, piece of foam that just shifted for some reason and kind of peeked out of the edge. And we're like, so it was but, dirty foam. It was no, it was just foam. Like, Were you worried it was, worried like, it was a grudge ghost, like uh, yeah. like the like the ghost of a haunted Korean I child? So. Just, just a head of hair. <laughs> That's all. It's all it just kept on a little girl. But like, I asked the guy. I was like, after he's, he's like, oh, it's just this thing, this cover thing got moved somehow. And I was like, okay, cool. Oh uh, but it looked like black mold, right? I wasn't dummy. Sure. So he's like, no, I totally thought it was when I got here. <laughs> I started to have symptoms. Yeah, I thought. I mean, dear, were like, yeah, we have been feeling tired lately. Oh God! So maybe, maybe, maybe the foam is actually toxic, but it's not black mold. It's just a whole different thing to worry about. Oh, it's filled, filled with asbestos. <laughs> well, I love wow. the word for finding it is remediation. Yeah, you know that just seems like such a weird word for finding mold. It seems like it's a it's a conspiracy. I'm actually surprised that's not some like. DIY network show or something like Mold Hunters. Yeah. And they come in and someone's like, oh, there's a little thing and they open up the wall and it's just like a yeah. toxic mold. <laughs> Jerry and Amanda had thought their allergies were out of control. Turns out they they're dead. <laughs> Caltiki is under the uh, stucco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad you're doing the podcast, Lorraine. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. I love this podcast. Oh my it's about God. time to have you on. You know, Lorraine, just for people who don't know, Lorraine... Besides being uh, an amazing comedy entity, is a fan of comedy and legitimately like goes to tiny little comedy shows just to watch comedy. I'm inspired. 
It inspires me. I love that. Yeah. I always worry, though, that the young people think she's a comedy vampire. <laughs> be, beware. Stay away. Hey, some of us have been disappearing. <laughs> yeah. What's going on? <laughs> Turns out for centuries you've just been... Because no vampire ever like was like, I'm going to hit the comedy circuit. Right, exactly. You know, it's like they never... It's like the what perfect a, cover. It's it perfect. is. perfect. Comics disappear all the time. Yeah, they're yeah. at night. Yeah, it's perfect. Oh, boy, there's just so many bad jokes that just popped into my brain about some dead comics <laughs> leave it leave it leave it i know that is the it's funny because with your you know like with improv training you want to spit out whatever comes into your mind but then just common decency you it's like you sometimes you can just feel the seams bursting of like mm-hmm. the screws popping out of the wall you're like mm-hmm. i gotta keep that in yeah. i really gotta keep that in if i had more balls i'd you know if i had any balls any, yeah, mm-hmm. no it's it, i i I, compl- I agree with you because I have got not about the balls part, about the keeping it in because I've just, it's just too easy to get burned, especially nowadays. And you're mm-hmm. like, fuck, it just wasn't worth it. It was just yeah. a throwaway joke. It yeah. just wasn't worth it. Yeah. I guess this is what being an adult is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. In real life, we say terrible jokes to each other all the time. Yeah. But it's just uh, on the, and and the privacy. Someone can track it. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. the thing. Like, if, if, if a non comedy person heard comics in a room, they would go, You're the worst human being. You go, No, no, we're saying this because we know it's, we don't believe these things. No. Just comics, this is how we shock each other and yeah. this is how we communicate. It's not, it's not real. Yeah, it's a manifestation of our fear. Of course yes. it is. <laughs> and we all have a lot of that. And that will be a dollar ninety-eight. <laughs> quite a reasonable. That's a reasonable therapy session. It a is. buck ninety-eight. Mm-hmm. One hundred and ninety-eight dollars. Oh, okay, that's a little. Even that's yeah. like, oh wow, that's a good deal. That's yeah, right. they can get yeah. up to like three hundred, three fifty an hour. But um, I would love to. T- oh, first of all, I also owe you a huge debt of thanks for. Um, uh, I'm telling Jonah this, you know, because you were there, but. Lorraine, the, the the TV Hall of Fame, the TV Academy Hall of Fame. Um, I got to induct Joan Rivers, right. uh, obviously posthumously, and then Lorraine, like the first season cast of SNL, was there, uh, and and Bill Murray showed up, and Bill is was a second season guy, but he came with Aykroyd. I had, I had no idea that he was not included in the thing. I I texted him and said, "Are you going to this thing?" This is what we always do when there's events. We always check with each other. You know, are you going? Are you going? And so I texted Billy, and he said, "I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> and I I legitimately thought, "Well, they just don't have his address. <laughs> they just don't know how to contact him." So I told him all the details, and he came, and he was not included in the clips, nothing, you know. And I re- I realized then in that moment that they just thought that because he was not in the first season, he wasn't considered the, the original cast member, which yeah. is crazy. Huh. And I was so embarrassed. I just felt so bad. It haunted me. And, you know, I was driving him to the airport, and he was on the phone with his brother Joel. And because um, we were talking about some air-efficient car or something like that. And uh, so Joel says, so how was the thing? And he says, well, uh, <clears throat> I wasn't in the eclipse or anything. And I thought, oh, my God, he's hurt. Oh, wow. <laughs> no. He's hurt. And I felt like such a schmuck. I just should have left alone. Well, wow. I love that. I mean, listen, I love that. And I, not not to not to glom onto your pain in that situation, but I love that even you can have those moments where you go, "Oh, why did I?" Oh, because you, Lorraine, noticed that I was sort of hovering around Bill and Dan. 
knows Lydia's mom. And so, so he yeah. was, ve- and he was very like approachable and very, you know, Bill's just one of those guys where you just don't know. I mean, like I've heard sometimes where he's amazing to talk to and other times where the walls are up and he just doesn't want to talk. So I just didn't, there are very few people where I feel like I don't know what I would say. And he's just one of those guys. And Lorraine noticed that I was <laughs> kind of saying, where she goes, want to meet bill and i'm like <laughs> and so she kind of she opened up she opened it up and she was like bill bill this is chris he, you know he started this thing called nerdist and i mean i don't even remember what i, I said, said he, he started an empire and this is someone i think you'd really enjoy knowing nice oh and i just didn't have a response i was like i'm just a comic i don't know anything yeah. And then we have this picture where I'm so clearly <laughs> tense yes, because just, I'm so afraid of ever bothering anyone. Yeah, yeah, because everybody thinks exactly the way you do, Chris. Of course. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> sees you the way you see yourself. That's all I need. I need to believe that. Be another dollar yeah, ninety-eight. That's, shit, man, we're, that's almost four bucks yeah. already. What are we? Three ninety-six at this point. <laughs> But uh, but even but in those situations, it, it just is. It's very tricky because you just you know, and it's nice that you all you all have each other as a group, as sort of a you can yeah. flank and protect each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, I've learned throughout the years of meeting my idols that it's never satisfying because you have a fantasy of what you want it to be, and it'll never be that. They're a stranger. <laughs> you know, you've got to remember they're a stranger. And you know them and they don't know you. Exactly. Yeah. Usually. Usually, yeah. It's nice when you, if you do meet someone and they, there's a hint of recognition, even if they don't quite, you're yeah. like, okay, at least there's a little something. But if, yeah. if, there's, no, if there's nothing, oh, then you're just like, yeah. Mortifying. Hi, nice to come here. But it's great that you guys all still, t- and, and the, the, the presentation was, was really incredible. I was impressed with Garrett. I thought he was hilarious. He was really, really funny. And 80 years old. I had no idea he was that old. Oh, I, didn't re- I didn't know he was 80 he years was old. Yeah. He yeah. was the oldest out of all of you, right? Yeah. yeah. He still looks great. Doesn't he? Doesn't yeah. he? He still performs. Well, he did for a long time because he had that club downtown for a while. Yeah, and he's got one, I think, like it's mid-Wilshire or on Sunset or something like that, yeah. that he's trying to get going and he wants to introduce new comics. It's, I think he's pitching it as a show, too. Oh, wow. Cool. You know, like jazz and comedy. Yeah, yeah. Love yeah. the comedy part. Hate the jazz. <laughs> <laughs> we need a location. Skip it a All right. You got to pay. <laughs> <laughs> I always love um, Matt Dwyer's joke about, uh, like, scatting jazz guys. He's like, he's like, how did that guy end up? It's like, it's like a bunch of guys hanging out. I was like, well, you know, I play bass. I'll play the bass. Yeah, Chris, you play drums. Rain, you're, you're a trumpet player. What about you, Katie? Well, I can, uh, I can talk like a stroke victim. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. Ah, that's Matt Dwyer. Yeah. Uh, that's a great joke. I was always like improvised jazz. It was like, we're never going to play. We're never going to play anything that you can recognize or enjoy. We're never, never going to play. <laughs> Try to find the hook. You can't. Yeah. It's like uh, well, Howard Kramer's joke about jazz is like he can't stand it. Because, like like improv jazz because yeah. it just sounds like running errands. Like, yeah. then, then I got to go to the cleaners. <laughs> 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 then I got to scarf. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the street's closed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would love to, if you don't mind, just sort of talk about the founding of the Groundlings and the early days of the Groundlings. And because I, uh, uh, I just, Alan Alda was just on a couple of days ago. And we were talking about like the sort of formation of modern improv comedy, which he, I think he was in, in probably the 
early one of the earliest generations of what how improv kind of is now. Like I, I Proto Second City, was he yes. with Alan Alda. Theater? Right? Yes, yeah, it was it Compass or, or he, he yeah, it was either Compass or an offshoot of Compass, but he was in that sort of original like one of the original groups in the early sixties. Right. And um and so in the seventies there's this massive boom that starts to happen where people are not just participating in comedy, but going out to see live comedy and you have, you know, like a wave of super comics prior and Carlin and Robin and all these huge, huge comedians explode. And then, you know, they go out, people go out to see live shows. So what was sort of the inception of that and how did it happen? Well, my experience was I, um, I was at Cal arts for like three minutes (laughs) And I met Paul Rubens there. He was like an architecture student or something like that. And his hair was as long as mine. <laughs> I mean, try and imagine that. And uh, I just didn't like CalArts. It wasn't for me. But my sister was in this improv workshop that was run by this guy, Gary Austin, who had been involved with the committee, but I don't really know how. Um, but I went to the workshop, and the people in it were like Jack Sue, mm-hmm. Pat Morita. Hmm. Um, Tim Matheson, Valerie Curtin, who was actually Jane's cousin, but was writing partners with Barry Levinson, and a bunch of other people that went on to be showrunners for, you know, shows in the 80s and 90s. Was Jack Sue the guy? Was he on Barney Miller? Yes. Yeah, that guy, right. Yeah. And this is all at CalArts? No, this is at the Groundlings. Oh, this uh, is when you, When it was just a workshop, just people to goof around and, and, you know, come up with stuff. And um, we started doing shows. We were at the Oxford Theater uh, in a neighborhood that I just love Blaine Capatch's quote about, this looks like a good place to give up. <laughs> yeah. that, that was the neighborhood that our theater was in. And um, we just started doing shows. And then after that, we came up with a name. You know, everybody wanted to be the Groundlings. I thought that was a dopey name that we would outgrow. So I voted for the working class, which I thought was very clever. Very clever. Very clever. Very clever. Um, and then we started doing shows from there. It was just, that's how it happened. Hmm. And was the focus on um, games or long form or comedy or not comedy? Was it, was it more acty or was, was the focus initially comedy, comedy? It was really comedy. It was the basic improv games, um, you know, presenting stuff that you may have come up with. Uh, and then we would have scene night where you would present, present your new stuff. And uh, but then sketches would also come out of improv, which is very common. That's usually how it works. Um, and then you know Gary, who was our director, and what a, a great director! I mean, so affirming and encouraging and nurturing. Uh, he would create the show sketch, you know, the um, order, and um, that was it. And we were in a theater. This was like a ninety-nine seat theater. And usually there were more people on stage <laughs> than in the audience. But it was also, the audience was also composed of a lot of people that were part of that new comedy wave. Um, the comedy store had just opened up. I was too young to get in. I wasn't 21 yet, so I would watch stuff through the curtain. Um, and I would see people like Freddie Prinz and uh, Richard Pryor, sure. uh, the Step Brothers, which I think was Rudy DeLuca, uh, Barry Levinson, and Craig T. Nelson. Holy wow. shit. Uh, and just all sorts of stuff that was new. It was just, you know, but you would see people trying out new material. Like I saw Richard Pryor try out this bit about um, 
when you break up with someone and uh, you see them again and you, you want to somehow get them engaged with you. So you say something like, um, you uh, left some hangers at the place. Do you want them? <laughs> you know, and I thought that was so great, which you never used. I mean, you know, it was so thrilling to see all of that kind of stuff. And there were all sorts of great drag clubs, if you can believe that, on Beverly Boulevard. Hmm. And it never occurred to me to see that kind of stuff, that content, but it was all there and it was fabulous. Waylon Flowers uh-huh. and, and Madam started at that time. And um, I'm trying to think, it was just at that time, it was the comedy store. Yeah. That was it. And they were letting people do, go and do sketch there too. That's why you guys were. Um, we weren't doing sketch at oh, the okay. comedy you store. Were just, you were just no, but at, at one point they wanted to cast the new Smothers Brothers show, so they had a lot of us audition oh. on the stage in the um, <clears throat> the original room, that really small one. Yeah, and uh, I remember them saying, "And now Valerie Bromfield," and I'm thinking, oh, "Another Jewish comedian, <laughs> not you know." And Dan Aykroyd's partner from Canada, and a genius. An absolute genius with characters. And she was on our first show, actually. Um, We had, you know, uh, new talent. And Billy Crystal was supposed to do it. Uh, But they wanted him to make internal cuts. And his his bit, you couldn't do that. You know, one bit depended on the next and the next and the next. So he said, I'm not doing it. Which I felt, you know, it can only imagine what it was for him. But at the time, it was the first show he ever did, so who would have known how well the show would have done? But she took his place. So she's in the first episode. Wow. And she's great. Of SNL? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, that the, those those early SNL shows are so fascinating because they... I mean, I, my parents noticed that I was transfixed by SNL when it started. 75? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I was like four. And my parents. Wow, just, really? Yeah. And my parents just noticed that I was transfixed by it. And again, they, they didn't really, they didn't they'll go, oh, this isn't really appropriate. Or they didn't. But, it, but you know, what's interesting about that, about that show is that it, not every sketch like murdered the audience. However, there was something so different and raw and. Unique, you know, especially coming out of the 60s where everything's all rosy and it's, you know, listen, uh, Smothers Brothers is a great show, but it, and it's certainly edgy in its own way and laughing, but, but it was all sort of like, and this was very much in that this is gritty yeah. and real and this is shit that people really talk about. And, you know, I just remember some sketch of Bill Murray going, I think it was like an, an STD sketch, but he goes, my penis hurts when I urinate. And I can't remember what the rest of the sketch was, but I just remember, I think it was Bill saying that. I, I know Al Franken wrote it, but I don't remember who said it. Um, I'm so impressed by the fact that you were interested in it at the age of four. Oh, yeah. Um, Because, you know, I have kids. I know what they're like at four, and that's just amazing to me. Yeah, well, when when Steve Martin started coming on and Steve started blowing up, you know, I was transfixed by him. Mm -hmm. And so my parents just started buying me the albums and the, and, but it all, it all really, it all really came from, from SNL. Wow. And so was, you know, that process of, because you were a lot of the people were second city right or they came down from second city or how how did you kind of float into that group well i had worked with lauren once before on a lily tomlin special she uh, and lauren came to see the show uh at the oxford theater i didn't know they were in the audience 
and they cast me in her special. They had seen The Valley Girl, and um, Lily had this character named Susie Sorority. (laughs) And so they cast my character in that. I had like one line, and it played so well in the read-through, they gave me a a bigger part, which was so thrilling. And a lot of Groundlings are all through that special. I I also... uh you you came to the, I think the last at midnight taping. Yes. Oh, it was so exciting. For and me. Uh, and it was it was really great to have you there. And then a couple of days later, I get this package in the mail. I'm like, what's this? And it's the original Killer Bees sketch that you sent me. And you go, I found. I thought you might like to have this. And I'm like, what? This? I felt like Indiana Jones. Like it belongs in a museum <laughs> because it's so pristine. It's so well preserved. The only way that you can tell that it's not new. Or is that it's written on a typewriter? Yeah. So it's either like old or a hipster wrote it, but it's, <laughs> but it's just and and the notes like the little notes in it. Well, and the there's whole... also rust where the staple was oh my on the paper. God. I, Did I, you think like that? Like why'd you hold on to it and keep it in good? I don't shape? know. Because sometimes I like it's like when I have stuff, I go, "This means something to me," but it's just clutter. It's just stuff. Oh, Who I know. cares about this? And God, I... there's a lot of stuff I've thrown out that yeah. I wish I hadn't. Because I am a. a, a compulsive cleaner and divester mm-hmm. uh, to my regret. But um, yeah, I kept a lot of sketches. I kept um, Coneheads and Landshark and uh, Landshark. Uh, at least once an episode of Mystery Science Theater, I write a Landshark joke. <laughs> really? Yeah, just anytime there's a knock on the door, I just go, Landshark. Oh I mean, God. it's just, it's one of those, with a lot of sketches, you can sort of do the math and go, okay, I see where they started. I see where that... I, maybe they wrote this one backward and ended with a joke. <laughs> Landshark is just one of those ones where it was like, someone just was tickled yeah. by an idea and yeah. it's just uniquely them. Was, was it Chevy? Who, whose was that? I don't know who wrote that. I don't have any idea. I wish I could tell you. Um, I think, you know, I love what you're getting at, which is the idea that our sketches were very personal. And it was the kind of stuff there, that we would think about, but it's like, other people like it? Oh, that's great, you know? Because <laughs> we really also thought we were working in a vacuum. We had no idea if anybody was watching us. We were like the redheaded stepchild, yeah. you know, NBC. They gave us, like, all the furniture, their shit j- furniture from, like, the, the early 70s, that horrible barf palette, you know, yeah. it was brown and beige. And, you know, um, <clears throat> I guess nobody had any idea. I went, to the, I went to SNL at the end of last year, and I... <clears throat> I was chatting with Lauren about it, and I said, oh, Lorraine sent me the original Killer Bee sketch. And he just kind of nodded, and he goes, yeah, I came in over Christmas to write that one. I remember that. Like, he just remembered. He remembered even writing it. And it just, you know, for me, going to SNL, and I said this to him, I was like, this is, it's it's like a living museum. It's a living, breathing museum to even be in here. Because you walk down the hall and it's just all the the group shots over the years. And you think about, there just isn't... I mean, the closest thing maybe might be like The Simpsons or something that's mm-hmm. just where you can tell like has been so influential to comedy. And so, and, you know, even this far in to still be making social commentary and to still be on and to still be, you know... And again, it's not, it's not like every sketch knocks it out of the park. But the ones that do are amazing. And also, you're writing a fucking 90-minute show yeah. every, in, in like four days, five yeah. fucking days. The, yeah. It's it's mind-blowing to me. Yeah. And, you know, the, the third of the month, because I don't think we did four a month. We did three. 
and that show was either abysmal <laughs> or brilliant because everybody was so tired. Yeah. You know, you either produce the greatest stuff or the worst, and one could ever never tell which it would be. You know, yeah. um, so I don't know. I, I imagine if you were to look at a pattern and really look at them, you would see that pattern. Um, there's a sketch that we did that, you know, the, the ensemble sketches to me are the ones that really make me laugh still. Um, and I uncovered this one with Steve Martin. It was called Beatniks. And it's such a good representation of Michael O'Donohue's writing style, Tom Schiller. I think a bunch of other people might have written on it. But it's it's one of my favorite sketches that we ever did. And it's long. It's like 12 minutes. Wow. Uh, but everybody is so great in it, and it is so deep. The comedy in it is so deep. I think Steve is, uh, first of all, Steve with one of those little billy goat yep, yeah, yeah. Thing, uh, beards and a, and a beret. Belushi comes out as like the sick comic. <clears throat> it was supposed to be Lenny Bruce, clearly. And he really plays this guy who is strung out, and only the band is laughing at his jokes, <laughs> which kills me. And, you know, I think I was a, an angry Jewess named Isidore Schwartz who comes out and does modern dance. Um, I mean, just, it's so tasty, you guys should watch it. Yeah, that's, is it available on the app? Yeah. It might be, yeah. Oh, uh, on the app? The or app, the, the app had, there's an, there's, a, there's an SNL app that has, like, almost any sketch you could ever want. Well, I had no idea. <laughs> yes. Out, you're all I over thought it. we were talking about the discs. <laughs> <laughs> An application <laughs> is a little place where things live. In the so little box that is a, a phone. Box. Yes. yes. A little rectangular box. But it's, uh, yeah, all the, uh, the, the most obscure sketches you can think of, almost all of them are, are in there, and you just type it oh. up and it, it comes up. Or if you just say, oh, I want to see, like, Joe Piscopo. It just brings up all the Piscopo sketches yeah. or, oh, that's or whatever. Great. Yeah, yeah, they did a. Re- it's it is a it is a public service to people who are fans of comedy or, or oh SNL. Oh my god! Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I might have to pull it up before you leave, just to see, like we can just test it to see if it. Look for able... look for the superheroes party. Well, to I remember the yeah. superheroes oh, isn't party. Isn't that a great one? Yeah, yeah that's, I love that's that. the one where Belushi comes out as a Hulk and like, yeah, nobody. <laughs> they like took a shit in the exactly. yeah yeah. Oh, that I love that. That one's fantastic. I mean it. Did so you didn't really understand what it was in the beginning. It was just like, oh, we have this opportunity, and we're just going to do what we do, and who yeah. who knows? Yeah, it's just one it of was, those things. First of all, it was going to be thirteen weeks, and I think we all really believed that because at least, even though we were all beginners, we knew not to expect it to be lasting. You know, it's like you know when Lauren presented it to me at the Chateau. Chateau. Um, he said it's, it's 13 weeks with a five-year option, and I'm thinking like that'll ever happen. Hmm. And um, there we were. And I think it was like the second year. Gilda and I were walking, I think on Fifth Avenue or something, and people were yelling out our our lines from the night before. Wow. And that's when we realized that people were actually watching us. That was exciting. Huh. That's insane because you you know when you think about where y'all came from, just groundlings or improv theater, they're they're typically just very small, very intimate, and you, you usually just like oh this is just a special thing that's just for us, like us and a hundred people. Yeah, like the cool people that showed up for the show, right. the new. But then but then to think that all of a sudden in public people are like you know shouting, you know I am from France or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. That. 
oh wow, this is way bigger than we are. I mean, is that yeah. does that affect the type of comedy you're writing, or do you start? Do you have to not? Do you have to fight the urge to like? Oh my God, we need to write popular sketches now. Well, I think it was a, a practical business decision on Lauren's part to repeat characters that were popular. You know, and I think that made sense. But in terms of the actual content, uh, he was very clear that the audience comes to us. We don't go to them. Mm -hmm. And I think he's always maintained that, except for the Trump stuff that keeps going on and on and on. And on. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think in the first five years, for sure, we, we did not serve the audience. We, we did what we presented, what we thought was funny. And hopefully they got it and liked it. And that was really the most gratifying aspect of it. Because up until then, all of that material was so, as I said, personal to us. And we never saw anything that looked like us on TV before. When uh, Lorne had cast me in the show, I was still in Los Angeles. He says, I want you to go meet Dick Ebersol. He's the producer. And I thought, well, I'm finished. (laughs) Because, you know, I've never seen anybody that looked like me on TV but he turned out to be such a great guy. I went to see him at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and I talked to him through a screen door because he had pneumonia. Oh, no. <laughs> you know? And he said, yeah, I come from the wide, wide world of sports, <laughs> so that completely qualifies me for comedy. I mean, he was so endearing, you know? Oh. Did, uh, uh, did repeating the sketches at a certain point, was there a rejection to that of like, I don't want to do this again, I want to do something new, or was it just sort of part of the... Well, that was my mindset to my uh, everlasting regret, but I don't know that other people felt that way. I, I can't say. Where did, uh, where did Coneheads come from? Well, Lorne in the beginning had us do improv at his loft uh, in an effort to make the cast, you know, gel, which was a good idea, but it never really caught on. But <laughs> one improv, we did several improvs, and one was an alien family. So Danny was the dad, Jane was the mom, and I was the kid. And I came up with a voice like this. And then um, Tom Davis and Danny went to Easter Island, and they saw the... The big heads. The big heads, and that is really how it all came about. (laughs) That's how it happened. I love knowing that, too. (laughs) That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that sketch... Lived on. When did was Conan movie? Conan's movie was like 91, 92? I don't know. I think it was ninety five. Was it really something like that? Yeah, because there was a Red Hot Chili Peppers song on the soundtrack, yeah. and so and that was from this album after. Six, yeah, uh, well, I know what a, I know what a huge Red Hot Chili Peppers fan you are. I'm a big pep head. Yep. <laughs> Is that what they're called? Pep yeah, pep, pep, Pepperhead. Yeah, pep, 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 Pepperheads. Pepper that's the guys who like that other reggae band. Oh, that's uh, like Trekker pepper. versus Trekkie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I understand. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Didn't what mean to is the distinction between Trekker and Trekkie? I don't know. I, I there. I don't think there really is one anymore. But in the early days of fandom, I think. I think most most Star Trek fans would identify as Trekkies. Okay. I don't. I, I don't Trekker doesn't yeah. sound right to me. Right. I don't think. I don't think most people would. Uh, I don't think most people would go along with it. Yeah. But you, I, I've read that your time that you kind of didn't love being in New York at that time. Well, I was very young and very inexperienced, and. I was in a very kind of familial situation at the Groundlings. My sister was there. My older brother ran lights. And um, I was, I had my place, you know. 
Um, when Lauren presented this idea to me and said, and you don't mind living in New York, do you? And I'm thinking, fuck, <laughs> I, I don't want to move to New York. My God, away from my groundlings family, away from my family. I didn't know anybody except Lauren. Um, so it was difficult for me. And also when you come from a car culture, I know how minuscule this sounds, but you feel so imprisoned when you can't drive yourself around. You know, God forbid you want to do, like, a grocery shopping and pick up your dry cleaning in one day. It's, it's complete toil. <laughs> and I, I know that sounds really mundane, but it was one of the things that was really kind of depressing to me. But it gives you a chip on the shoulder, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, which <laughs> which is helps good. you push your way through people yes. on the subway. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I just had such a West Coast mentality, which was so open and candid. And my impression of the East when I was living there was that you can't be like that, you know? <laughs> Because I, I imagine it's just because everyone, just to survive that city, they'd walk out of their building and they just, like, the bubble goes up. Because you just can't you just can't engage with that yeah. many people at once. I think it's just a protective measure of, like, I just need to get where I'm going yeah. and push through and just and not have to deal with We it. don't need bubbles. We have cars out here. Right. Those are, <laughs> those, those are our yeah. bubbles. Um, who did you, like, so you're, you're going out there, you're real young. Who did you kind of did you kind of get a couple friends like on the show or were they outside the show? Gilda was my first friend. Yeah, um, and she took me over to. She was in the middle of doing uh, that Lampoon album. That's not funny. That's sick. Yeah, and so that's when I first met Harold Ramis and Bill Murray and Brian Doyle Murray and Bob Tischler, and they said, "Hey, why don't you come and record with us?" So I did. Oh, Chris Guest too, and. Um, so those were like some of the first people I met. And then uh, when I met Tom Schiller, I, he looked familiar to me, and we had gone to the same grammar school. No way. I recognized him from that. My sister had been his camp counselor. You know, it's, um, it just, it's all connected. Small yeah. world. It's, it's very connected. Did the, that, that National Lampoon crowd kind of, did that feel a little similar to the Groundlings? No. No. It was so unto itself. Oh, I, yeah. I really didn't know anything about the Lampoon. I had never read it. Um, when Lauren presented the show to me, he says, it'll be a cross between 60 Minutes and Monty Python. <laughs> and I... <laughs> I want his money python. I'm just mm-hmm. thinking that, you know, and nodding my head enthusiastically. Yeah. <laughs> well, sure, at the time, like, you just, things were not as accessible. Right. Yeah. You couldn't yeah. just, you know, if someone was like, money python, like, even now, I'm just, I'm looking up the SNL app. Oh, in seconds, I'm going to have this app. I'm going to find that thing. But if someone said money python to you then and you were in America, oh, that's interesting. What is, is that a thing? What is yeah. that? You know, like, you'd someone would have to... You couldn't even give someone a tape. I don't even know. I don't know what you would do. Yeah, I, w- to... I don't know what my route to finding them would have been. Right. I know that if I'd found them, I would have loved them. But I just, it never came into my atmosphere. Hmm. I, I would be willing to bet that those in the 70s, it must have been like 40 million people a night watching SNL. I mean, like, I'm, I would imagine the number is staggering. Because there's only three channels at the time. And, you know... On Saturday nights, like, at that hour, if people aren't out, you know, what else is there to, you know? So I would imagine, do you know what the numbers were in those days? God, no. No. You see, Chris, I was thinking about me (laughs) most of the time. No, I have no idea what the numbers were. I mean, you know, at the the Monday meeting when we were pitched to the um, host, we would get the numbers, 
And they just kept getting better and better and better, you know. Hmm. And, of course, you know, with the share now with so many, so much content, it's nothing compared to the share you would get when there's only three channels. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, like, if you, if, you get a hand, if you get a few million people watching something, they're like, great. It's a hit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just not the same thing at all. Shows, like, the, the top, some of the top-rated shows today would have been canceled. Yeah. Uh, a couple decades ago, like yeah. ah, no one's watching that. No one's going to watch yeah. that. But w- was the culture at that time? I mean, I think when some people think about, it, when I think about, it, I go, it must have been crazy and people running around doing drugs and it was nuts and it was chaotic. Did it feel that way? Is that not a correct perception of what was going on? That that's somewhat accurate. Uh, you know, I think that just the blush. The first blush of that kind of success, none of us really were prepared for that. Um, and all of the things that come with it, you know, uh, the publicity, the attention, the doors that open, the free stuff, you know. Um, so I think that for all of us in some way, because we all do have a hole in us, um, a God-shaped hole. No. Um, <laughs> That's what we're really here to yeah. talk about. <laughs> um, I, I can't imagine that any of us weren't feeling like, gimme, gimme, gimme. You know, this was great. It was exciting. Mm-hmm. Exciting as fuck. Particularly, particularly <laughs> in, a, uh, in kind of a, a decade of excess like the 70s, where it's just like, Disco and drugs and people fucking, you know, it's like all of those things that you think about. I mean, I was, you know, I was, I lived through the 70s, but I was a child. I don't really know. I can't really say that I know exactly what they were like. Mm -hmm. But God, New York in the 70s at that time must have been fucking bananas. Well, you know, there's one misconception about the drug situation, which is that somehow, you know, they couldn't take their success so they got hooked on drugs, you know. Nobody's going to do that if they're not already predisposed to it. Sure. You know, I know I came there with a problem already, you know. <laughs> and I think that John did too, you know. Yeah. So, you know, some of us were just luckier than others. But um, I remember when the Rolling Stones were our hosts, they had some guy who had pharmaceutical coke. And how it, is that different from it, that's Keith Richards is like that's what he says is like how he's survived all oh because he he knows like he takes it like a prescription drug like yeah. he knows exactly how much he's like but I know it, where it it's comes different from. it's really different you know um, I'm just trying to remember the experience <laughs> of that cocaine versus the street cocaine mm, this is delightful uh, this cocaine is, this is delicious <laughs> there, there's a story in uh, Steve Martin's book where he like he showed up to like to host and he got there and started talking to uh, Lauren and then uh, Dan Aykroyd came in and he was like bested up like uh, like wet and like like what happened he's all I rode my bike out to Jersey. It broke down. I tried to thumb a ride back in. I got into a car, and then as we got up to speed, a guy kicked me out on the turnpike. <laughs> oh, Is, God. Did, was, did you ever hear of that happening? I didn't hear that story, but um, Danny's certainly a, a citizen of the world. Was he, like, really wild? Because it's like, it's, when I read that in Steve Martin's book, I was just like, I never would have thought, I, you know, I thought he, like, liked cool stuff, but I didn't know that like, he was, like, a rambunctious dude like that. He was... Um, Kind of fearless, you know. Some of the greatest performers I've ever seen, like Phil Hartman and Danny um, Keegan Michael Key. Mm-hmm. These are the, some of the best improvisers I've ever seen in my life. And one thing that they all seem to have in common is that they are fearless. And 
Danny is just, you know, he takes a big bite out of life. And he does it for no other reason, not for his image. He's not self-conscious about it. It's just his real essence as someone who is an adventurer, you know? Yeah. But was there, as the show started getting successful, I would imagine there are those things that happen where it's like, oh, that person's getting more sketches than me or that, oh, that character, but my character didn't. Oh, I Mm -hmm. got cut, but other... Oh, well, I'm going to go do my own thing. Fuck all of you. I mean, was did that start percolating? Did it, you know, and if so, how did you navigate it? Well, it happened for everybody at one point or another. Um, I mean, it still happens, I'm sure. It's just that people, the good thing about the cast now and over the years is they, they're a little more mature. You know, they've come there, they've had more experience, they understand the lay of the land. None of us did. I mean, Gilda was really clever in that she collaborated with Alan Zweibel, who was a superb writer. But I certainly couldn't see the big picture. So I collaborated with some people. But um, it was obvious. I mean, like, John had a tough time with Chevy's success and, and so on. And so, you know, everybody dealt with it their own way. I heard, uh, Zweibel told me that Conan O'Brien said about writing on the show that it was like, getting beaten up on the schoolyard every day, <laughs> you know, it's tough. It's, it's not, it's a difficult atmosphere. And I know it was only after, I hate to say this, but it was only after that show that I knew that there was such a thing as a happy set. Cause it wasn't, you know, <clears throat> at that time it wasn't a happy set. Well, it just, I mean, you know, you, everything about it was so new, you know, mm. it's like the, the, the the groundlings is relatively new at that point, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden this format is new, and the seventies were new and stuff. That, there's so much that it's it's all, it all it's almost unfair because you weren't prepared to process it all, and it's also it, it was also not like now where people are like maybe you should get into therapy or let's try to talk yeah. about it or let <laughs> it was just like fucking drink it you know yeah. you know jump yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's for for a variety of reasons sometimes i look back at that era and i go it's a wonder anyone survived yeah. you know any of that stuff is is, yeah. is crazy to me yeah i don't think you can ever predict what's going to happen mm. and um it was, I guess, a social phenomenon at the time. And then over the years, the show matured just as any other entity would, you know. Uh, so I think it was different. Did I hear this correctly that when, because, you know, everyone kind of spoke when they were getting the induction into the into the Hall of Fame, except for Bill. But um, ah. <laughs> did, <laughs> it's, a, it's also kind of comforting to know, like, hey, a guy like that who... Yeah, is literally one of the most successful comedy forces who is given some of the most iconic performances that could never be replicated by anyone and is in multiple of my favorite movies of all time, could still go, 
oh man, I wasn't any other. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but didn't yeah. things worked out for you though, Don't right? People have multiple tattoos of your face on their <laughs> bodies. Isn't that also true? Yeah. I uh, mean, yeah. so it is kind of comforting to hear it that as is. well. It is. He just wanted to go feel good about himself. Went to Austin and bartended with like you know Wu Tang Clan or something like that. That's <laughs> some the kind of thing that. Yeah. So I feel yeah. like Bill Murray just like he's just appears sometimes. Yeah. He might appear at your bar mitzvah. He might appear you know at a wedding. He might DJ at something. You just never know. Yeah, I mean he. T- takes a bite out of life in his own way you know not really caring about how he's perceived he's curious and that's what i think is so compelling about him but i what i noticed with him is because he uh when he was watching when he was watching the sketches and he was watching all of you uh accept the award he was smiling and he was genuinely laughing at the sketches and it occurred to me that He's just a guy who's been doing this for so long that he's sort of conditioned that if he's not interested in something, he doesn't really have to pretend to be interested. But when he's yeah. interested, he's interested. Yeah. So if he's, it seems like if he's in a situation and he doesn't really feel like being there, he just doesn't be there. Yeah. And if he's excited, then he'll be excited. Mm-hmm. And so it, it kind of gave me a real a, a different understanding of a guy I don't really know. Well, it's good to see people's humanity. Yeah. You know, and, and the perspective of someone who, in our minds and actually truthfully, is unimaginably successful and, um, and idiosyncratic at the same time. He does what he does, and it's not guided by any, you know, popular uh, vision of what has to be or should be. It's him. You know, and he has been able to use his personality to his best, you know, uh, result. And what could be better than that? Yeah, but I can imagine it's weird, though, when all day, every day, people are like, oh, my God, you're a genius. Oh, my God, you're the best. Oh, my God, you're the... I mean, you... I think someone might go, what's wrong with that? Like, well, because there is a, there is a disconnect from reality because you as a person don't walk... You Most yeah. people don't walk the earth and go... What a genius I am. All day. <laughs> like at a certain point, that would, you might be like, oh, that's great. I just, you know, you would probably build up a little bit of armor, you know, because yeah. it's kind of a strange, it's, I, I think as humans, as much as we strive for things, it can be a little odd when the spotlight is on you when you're not on stage, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's yeah. got to feel a little strange. It's, you're not in control of it. It's a rare experience, I'm sure. But But seeing Chevy at the thing kind of, if I'm not mistaken, did he say, like, it was a big mistake that I left after the first season? I don't remember him saying that, but I trust you. I thought he alluded to, and maybe it was something kind of under his breath, but I just remember I was watching it backstage on a monitor and just going, oh, that's really interesting. It felt to me like he was saying, like, you know, I uh, left this thing, and that was probably a mistake at the time, but I was, you know, going well, through some stuff. I think that Chevy's... You know, um, at a stage in his life where he's willing to expose that vulnerability, you know, and admit that there are things in his life that he regrets, especially since he's been, you know, renowned as kind of an asshole. Right. And um, I think that he absolutely regrets that and is hurt by the things that people say, absolutely devastated by it. Hmm. That's my impression. Right. You know? To be honest, that was a terrible impression of Chevy Chase. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Are you mad? (laughs) 
But when you look back at those early sketches too, there's so many of them. Even with the Killer Bee sketch, where you go, I oh, couldn't do, couldn't do that today. I oh, probably wouldn't get away with that. Yeah, I oh, wouldn't be able to get away with that. <laughs> that the show, even though it was edgy for the '70s, what is like. I think a lot of those early sketches are just way off limits today. Immediately people are like, how could you say that? Yeah. Oh, you're marginal? How could you? Well, that's not funny, you know. Yeah. But at the time, it was just, there was a different... That's why I always say, like, it's it's very dangerous to go back and look at um, at older comedy with present eyes. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, there, there were different conversations going on at the time. And right or wrong, it's just, this is what came out of the culture at that time. Yeah. yeah. But it is a step, but even just reading the Killer Beast sketch, I'm like, I don't know if they... I think I like, gave you Uncle Roy, too. You which did, is yeah, yeah, really yeah. wrong. <laughs> you know? And now that I have kids, it's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> mm. What was it What was it like? So, like, you put in the five years. How, what At what point did you start to get kind of tired of it and worn out and like did you get miserable and were you looking forward to that five-year contract being up i was looking forward to going home and it was clear that lauren wasn't going to stay so we didn't want to stay um i was very homesick the whole time i was there i was homesick uh so i was very much looking forward to going home but i wouldn't say that i was sick of the work sketch as i said you know at that induction it is the most fun work yep. I've ever done. I love it. You know, um, there are shows on like now, like Another Period mm-hmm. and Drunk History. Those shows to me are so funny and look like so much fun to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I would be surprised. Did you ever do Another Period? No, and I'm dying to. <laughs> I, I talked to Ricky at some some event and. Uh, I can't believe what I said, too, because I am not the kind of person that would say, I could really nail that. You know? <laughs> but I think I said something like that to her, and I'm so mortified that I did that. Yeah. Oh, again. Yeah. But I just, I want to do that show so badly. Yeah. Again, I, I'm so delighted that you had a moment where you said something because you got excited and then immediately was like, stupid, stupid, stupid. Why can't I keep my mouth shut? God, there's some movie where that... Oh, what is it? Is it Star 80? Oh, never mind. Just ignore me. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're not going to ignore you. You're the guest. Okay. We are going to fully focus on you. All right. What, uh, when, when you, At your peril. When you came back to L.A. Uh, after SNL, did you have a plan? Or were you expecting, like... Things to start kind of coming your way. What, like, what was this? What was your life like just shortly after you left? Well, I grew up in Los Angeles. I grew up part of the time in Beverly Hills. So you know, we were across the street from Edgar Bergen, down the street from Kirk Douglas, around the corner from Groucho Marx, and I, as a teenager, would see actors that had been on a, a series and then were no longer on a series. And that was a look on their face that was one I never wanted to have on mine. And I intuited, I had no plan to be a performer or anything, but I intuited that it was a miserable state. It can be, it doesn't have to be, but for a lot of the people I saw, it, it seemed to be. And um, so I was prepared for that possibility. And it was a good thing that I was. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, I was at ICM and they packaged me in a lot of stuff. But it wasn't really until I started to do animation that I had uh, a real possession of myself and of my work and what I really felt I was good at. Because I didn't, you know... I was introduced to my limitations 
how do you do? My, you're big. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I realized that it was tough for me to do other people's material. I didn't know how. I think part of it was just uh, the years and years of being high since f- age 14. I didn't have reference. You know, I so anesthetized myself from the experiences of life that fundamental things that are written, I didn't know them. I didn't understand them or how to do them. So, um, and that's very distracting mm-hmm. when you try and work and you know that it's, it's not quite right, you know, that you're not nailing it. But uh, once I found animation, I was really home. That's what I just love doing so much. And it's, it took me a long time to break in. Katie! God damn it! God. We were having a moment. She was opening up. Oh, my God. I can't go back. Get oh, new no. hands. Um, it took it's our me. producer. I know. God. Not anymore. She produces noise. You're firing. Yeah. Oh, my um, God. I could never fire Katie. Oh, I know. This podcast. I feel like this podcast could survive without me more than it could survive without her. Yeah. It's that cute, sweet, young voice in the background. Katie, is that is that right? Yes, it is. <laughs> could you look that up? Yeah, I just did. <laughs> 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 no one's done a Katie before. That's, oh, that's the best. I wish I could do. I love the sound of your voice so much. It is so sweet and youthful, you know, which you are. But, I mean, sometimes people don't have that tone. Katie, Watch out for the vampire. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here. Your youth. Look out. <laughs> is that a vein I see? <laughs> is that a vocal cord I see? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it took me two solid years of auditioning for... Uh, animation and then I got a series and I never stopped working wow and it's a very rarefied world you know you have to have really sp- a specific set of talents um, but sketch is so great for that world because absolutely. you have to especially when you're auditioning or even if they just throw characters at you in the moment like oh just do this one too you have to build a character like that absolutely with almost no information maybe a, a reference maybe picture. a drawing mm-hmm. yeah. yeah maybe a drawing well, and you then and you... i both know andrea romano, romano the best. she gave me my first job what was it which was pinky in the brain oh. uh did not know rob paulson or maurice lamarche and in that session my stomach was gurgling a lot i was so mortified and then they embarked on this thing not knowing that I'm one of the nine women in the world that thinks farts are funny, uh, <laughs> making these fart noises. And I, 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 I don't know how I got through that session. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> and, you know, the sound effects that Rob was making that was clearly water and matter landing into the water. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I was just, I was dying. And Voice they always the tease me about it. Yeah, they're Voice great. people really are the best. It's such a great community. And there's also no... Um, there's just no boundaries in the sense that, the, you know, a good voiceover group will come in, know how to fuck around, but then focus when they need to focus and then continue fucking around. But our, but our friend Andrea Romano retired. Yeah. And so she had um, – and she, she, was a, she was on the podcast a few years ago and it was one of those ones where people listen and they would say – they talked to me about it for months and they would say, I didn't know who she was. But when we, she started talking and I saw what she was involved with – and it ended up inspiring me. Like, Andrea is just like a halo of warmth. Yeah. And, and really was responsible for so much of 
what made people's childhood great. Like all of the Warner Brothers animation. Wow. You know, the original Batman animated series, Tiny Toons, Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain. Like all of it. That's all yeah. Andrea Romano. Sure. Yeah. And she is very warm and very sweet. And so, you know, her retirement party was this who's who of amazingly yeah. <laughs> talented, you know, it's like you and Mark Hamill and Fillion and Weird Al and Paul Rubens John and DiMaggio. John DiMaggio and yeah. Paulson and Maurice LaMarche and, and Tom Kinney. And of course, everyone got up and, and spoke. And, but then it occurred to me afterwards, like it was almost like a eulogy. It was like, yeah. you can still I hang know. out with this lady. I know. She's still going to. She's out of the industry, Chris. She's I, gone. I'm, I'm like a kid. It's like, well, you can still come back, can't you? <laughs> you know, uh, I really th- I wish she would. But what was also fun about Andrea's shows is Warner Brothers does it as a play. All, you know, they don't record you separately. You're all there recording, so you do the show like a play. And that is the most fun. It's yeah. the most fun way to do it. And she's such a good director. And she taught me so much. Um, and then the first, <laughs> the first series I did was Hysteria. Oh, yeah. And the cast was Maurice LaMarche, Rob Paulson, Jess Harnell, Tress McNeil, hmm. uh, Billy West, Jeff Bennett. Jesus. And Frank Wilker. Oh, my God. Wow. And me. <laughs> it's like, what am I doing here? It was <clears throat> amazing. It was You're a great... founding member of SNL. Well, that doesn't always translate, believe me. <laughs> believe me. But, uh, yeah, I found my niche. I mean, Paulson's one of those guys that he... Can, and Jeff Bennett's this way, and D. Bradley Baker is also oh, this yes. way, where you you can't always track them in a because their ranges are so oh, insane yeah. that Paulson Paulson can sing super high falsetto and then go low, and you can't. It's like these guys. There's just something going on, and, and they can click through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 There's yeah. something that's going on in these throats. It's like you hear these old stories about Mel Blanc about how. You know, he could do Daffy Duck imitating bugs. Mm. Like, oh it was, my God. like, he could do characters imitating other characters. So yeah. it wasn't him doing Daffy. It was like, it was the, oh. and so, but these guys have that same, that same sort of skill sets. And DiMaggio is just like a fucking bulldozer yeah. that you, you know, him and Kevin Michael Richardson in a yes. room are unfucking stoppable. Oh, I know. Well, um, I think uh, D. Bradley Baker especially, and Frank Welker in terms of sound effects. Um, I was talking to Steve Martin about Frank Welker because they did stand-up at the same time. <clears throat> and uh, he said that um, Frank did the sound effects of a duck with her ducklings walking through a stream. <laughs> you know, And uh, all of it, the water, the mother duck, the ducklings. You know, He had never seen anything like it. Wow. And but stand up was never a thing that appealed to you in any way. No, that was I never wanted to be by myself on stage, you know. Although at the Groundlings, that's exactly what I was for the most part. I did character monologues. Um, well, they changed the sets, uh, <laughs> but um, no, stand up is a whole different animal, and it's so funny to me because people think that's my background, and it it's not hmm. in any way. And both my kids are doing stand-up. Are they enjoying it? Yeah. Good. Nice. Yeah. They have an aptitude. Well, the, yeah, the L.A. stand-up landscape, I always... It's so exciting. It's a good time. There's, there, is, there's yeah. a lot of really good... And, of course, sadly, Meltdown's about to close. Yeah. What? Meltdown's yeah. closing. 
Why? Gaston's just kind of he did it for 25 years he's just he's moving on he's got a bunch of other stuff that he's doing yeah. it's one of those things where it's, it's oh. sad for the community good for Gaston like, yeah. I see like it's, he's ending it on his terms well also I mean it's not the best time in the world to own a giant comic book shop yeah. on a major street like Sunset Boulevard yeah, the parking so sucks huge. where the parking yeah. sucks but also just you know, it's just like any bookstore would have the same, you know, oh, people are yeah. buying stuff on apps or they're just ordering it through Amazon and not necessarily. And so it's, you know, but that community was such a great community because the Nerdist Theater was in the back and then there were classes and people would read comics and they'd play D&D. So, you know, I hope there's another clubhousey thing that, that yes. kind of launches. But I heard the Lyric Theater on Hyperion, it, like that's becoming, people are starting to say that's starting to have the feel of the meltdown. Oh, good. Like, is that um, where they do Hot Tub? Uh, no, that's, no, that's, that's a Virgil. Virgil. Yeah, the Hyperion the Virgil. is just like, it's on, it's on Hyperion and Silver Lake and it's a, yeah, like a theater, but everyone's starting to do like weird gonzo shows and plays and it's all comics doing experimental stuff. And people are saying like it feels like like oh peak, that's great like meltdown kind of stuff yeah the West Side Comedy Theater is like that too and it's yeah. on my side of town hey yeah, you don't I'd even go have to that to... I'd go to that place more if it was closer yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. the West Side for comedy can be a little tough I know but for me going to the East Side as much as I want to it's like oh look at this lineup oh god damn it oh I gotta stay on the couch I'm uh, tired that, <laughs> uh, that's a lot of traffic getting in there I gotta park yes, and, uh, yes. I don't know yeah. if I feel yeah. like but it seems like that. You know, whatever you were going through at that time and whatever sort of drugs you did and whatever sort of, you know, it, se- it seems like you got your shit together because, you know, you we've I feel like we've had conversations before where you, you've sort of made jokes about like, you know, my over therapy opinion on this is mm-hmm. or something. I mean, like, was that was what how did you kind of emerge from all that stuff and how did you start to get healthier? Well, I wanted to live. I really wanted to live. I, I thought that I wanted to die, and but it wasn't happening fast enough. Uh, I think that there's an element of any drug addict, they just don't care about the consequences. They're, in the back of their mind, they know that they could die, but they don't care because they want to get out of that feeling so badly. Um, I think close to my bottom, I found myself a passenger in the front seat of a car being driven by Hunter Thompson. Oh, my and God. he's, like, balancing a tumbler of whiskey, threading his cigarette into oh the cigarette God. holder, and incidentally driving. <laughs> you know, and I, even, oh even as, as fucked up as I was at that time, I thought, this is risky. <laughs> I shouldn't be here right now. Why? Mm. And so, you know, I just I got to a point where... Um, I couldn't audition at all. Uh, I was in such bad shape. It wasn't that I would go to an audition high, but the mindset, I was so depressed that it infected my bearing in those situations. And um, I was 85 pounds. I mean, it was gruesome. And my agent called me after one that I knew was abysmal. He said, "Uh, how do you think it went? And I said, it was terrible. He said, well, I'm glad that you're aware of that. Because they called me and they wanted to know what was wrong with you, oh. you know. And they said they, they wondered if you had AIDS. And I was like, I don't have AIDS. I'm a coke addict, goddamn it. <laughs> <laughs> no. How dare you, you know. <laughs> so, uh, the indignation. <laughs> I know. I'm a coke addict. <laughs> I don't have a disease. Yeah. Well, I guess I do. <laughs> this is no accident. Yeah. So I checked myself into a Brotman Memorial Hospital, chemical dependent. Dependency unit, April 28th, 1987, not knowing that I would get 
AA or anything like that. Just thought that I'd be able to learn how to do drugs healthy in a good way, you know, Percocet and things like that. (laughs) And um, whatever it was that I heard, I was ready to hear. And I think one of the things was you don't have to live like this. And it just changed my life. And I've never looked back. I've never, I had so long being an addict that, you know, I forgot that I was. I mean, I've had painkillers in the house and forgotten about them. And then, like, one day I was like, oh, God, this is a shit day. I'm going to go take this perk. Hey, aren't I an addict? (laughs) (laughs) Aren't aren't I an AA? Yeah. Okay. Like the the muscle memory of just reaching for the thing. God. I mean, it's. I think it's good for people to hear stories like that because, first of all, when you're in it, most people, myself included, you always feel like, no, no, it's fine. I got this. This is just part of my thing. You know, like I'm just. It's recreational. It's part of my thing. And then, but then when you get to the other side, then you have the. Oh, oh, right. Oh, and that's why, oh, that's why I lost this and this, and that's why that, oh, oh, oh. It's, it's all these things that you think are so, like, if you saw someone else do it, you go, well, it's very obvious yeah. that you're, you're creating a lot of this, you're running away, and you need to, you know, uh, but, but when you're in it, it's very, it's very hard to see, well, so. Well, I have to say, I always knew that once I started, I couldn't stop. I knew that I had a deadly problem, and... That uh, I, I never, I don't think, kidded myself about it. Uh, and it was, I mean, I was a depressed kid. And so it was just like the natural progression. It was sugar and then it was that and, you know, so on. Now it's watching TV. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, I never had any doubt that it was a problem. I always knew that. So that when I became sober, you know, I knew what to look for. I knew what to look for in my thinking um, that would justify any kind of bullshit. And I knew how to avoid it because I was taught how. Right. You know? Because it doesn't, you know, it, when you first get sober, it doesn't fix all of your problems. Of course not. It just gives you the clarity to do the work to figure out why exactly. or how to, you know, how to begin the process of... Fixing, moving on, patching holes, growing, getting stronger. So Perfectly said. Yeah, so I just, you know, I, I always... I Is caution- this my intervention, Chris? Mm-hmm, yeah, Jonah. <laughs> Jonah, we love you. And, uh, I don't. I on the driveway. I'm fine with you, to be honest. Yeah. No. Yeah. But, but, but it just... So I, I caution people if they say, like, hey, I'm thinking about getting sober, and I will say to them, like, look, you, you don't expect that the second it happens... Because that can make people relapse. They go, well, I quit and fucking nothing got better. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, this is where you have to just, you know, don't think about it all at once. Just focus on the one day at a time thing. But just know that it's a process. Yeah. And that, you know, it will, before you know it, you know, one day you'll be like, hey, I kind of feel, I kind of feel okay. That's new. the first year when I took my first year chip or cake or whatever, um, I was furious because I had my feelings now, you know, <laughs> something that I fought vigilantly to not have. So, you know, it took me a long time, but the inventories are so great because they really force you to look at your thinking and your behavior. But boy, I, but I just knew that that wasn't an option anymore. I couldn't go back to it. I knew that 
also, you know, people can slip and come back. I knew I did not have a second recovery in me. Mm. I knew it. So there was no way I was going to take that chance. Yeah, that's an important step, too, is is also recognizing, respecting the power of your addiction. Yeah. Just knowing, you know, I mean, I I know now still, and I've said to Lydia before, I don't ever miss it, but I know like, oh, if I... If I had one, if I had one drink, I said it would probably just be a couple of weeks before I would be because I I know I wouldn't want to stop. I would just want to keep doing it, and always remembering that yeah. is really helpful because I go, well, that's a choice, but I don't want I don't want that. I want this other choice, yeah. and so you know that's that's what I choose to do. It's a wonderful place to be. It's a wonderful kind of knowledge to have, and it's also a great way to live. Being yeah. responsible, being honest. If you do something to someone, you immediately own it and apologize. That's a great way to live. Yeah. Did, how, did, was there a, a period of time where you felt like, well, now I'm going to go back and try to undo some of the damage of career stuff and let everyone know that I'm okay and look at what my work options are? Were, were you just like, I'm not even going to bother with that. I'm just going to focus on being healthy and not even think about work stuff. Yeah, that was the first thing. And then, you know, I got back into uh, taking classes at the Groundlings, uh, the lab classes and creating new characters. My sister was a teacher and director there. And... um I just thought, you know, I've got to learn how to do things that a lot of people already know how to do. And that was hard on me, too, because, you know, you you're, you wake up and you're 35 and it's like, I'm a middlescent. <laughs> you know, this is embarrassing, you know. Um, but I had the humility to understand that this is just going to be my story and my path and uh, one thing I have always been is passionate and curious about the things that I love, like music and comedy. Still, always really love it and am inspired by it, as I say. So the things that interest me in life are what inspire me and make me joyous, you know. And even being able to accept that feeling of joy is like a big deal. Like it's a very yeah. big deal because – you know, most people who have what we have don't want it uh-huh. <laughs> or they smush it down or they feel like they don't deserve it in some way. Wow. Uh, I'd like to meet him. No, <laughs> I, mean, no I, I know of people that are like that, too. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. But, you know, I think when people hear that and they hear you say that and they whenever this comes up on the podcast, some people are like, oh, get it. You're sober. But. It's all, but it's always for like a handful of people will go. Uh, I just heard that at the right time, yeah, and it just got me curious, and it just got me on this path. And for you, that's like when when your therapist just kind of mentioned it to you about getting sober. You said it was just that right moment. You mean former SNL cast member Pamela Stevenson? What did you know her? I didn't know she. Be- no, I didn't know her, but she became a therapist. Yeah, she was my oh, therapist. Great. She was the therapist that. And Billy uh, Connolly's wife, yeah, yeah was married oh to Billy Connolly, and yeah. so yeah, and uh, a, a mutual friend of ours connected us because you know I, someone said my the girl I was dating at the time said, oh, you should probably just talk to a therapist and figure out why you're drinking. You know, I'm not saying quit, just figure it out. And so a friend of mine was like, oh, uh, you know, my uh, my friend Pamela Stevenson. I'm like, oh, my God, what a great therapist. She is a comedian who is married it. to That's a comedian. Great. Yeah, and Pam, Pamela was the one that um, 
that just said one day after like a year, she was like, you look like shit. Go to rehab right now. And I was That's like, great. okay. And yeah. I yeah. like, I was, <laughs> didn't, even, didn't even question. I was like, oh, I guess I could, you know, kind of like what you said. Oh, I guess I could just do that. Yeah. Sure. Well, I was uh, in a therapy with a woman that uh, was a very big German looking woman who was from Argentina. <laughs> Need I say more? <laughs> and uh, the first thing she said to me is, I can't treat you until you get sober. And that was when, you know, I checked myself in. Oh, and I, it was humiliating, too, because I felt like, what more of a cliche could I be than a late-night TV actor who's in comedy who's a drug addict? It was so humiliating, you know? But you have to forgive yourself for that stuff. I was yeah. like, well, it is what it is. But it is, but it is one of those slippery slopes where, like you said, oh, I woke up one day and I was 35, and you know, you can just go, where did five years go, or mm. where did ten years go, or how am I here? But it's never too late to just scrap all that yeah. and just start today. Yeah. Start from today. So, what what lessons do you feel like you're still learning, or what things do you still feel like you know are are valuable to you? The big one uh, that I'm working with now that has really made a difference for me is that people do not see me the way I see myself. Um, I'm a twin, and so I'm used to being able to read someone else. But I can't read other people. I think I can, but I cannot. So, And I always assume the worst in people's behavior. Like, I know how I am when I want to keep people at arm's length. And if I see that behavior in someone else, well, that's what they're doing, mm -hmm. you know. But I can't assume that. It's an arrogance that I, I need to let go of um, because it's poison. It's so undermining to – because in your whole life you're trying to prove yourself. You know, you're trying to get someone to like you when, first of all, you can't control that. But you got to come off like you like yourself. I know this is pretty basic shit, but, you know, I'm just kind of <laughs> learning great, it. It's great, though. Yeah. I mean, it's just... No, for sure. It resonates so well. And, you know, listen, I, it's not I'm, not... I'm not religious in any way, but it's, it, it's interesting to me that sometimes things are happening in my life and then someone will come on the podcast and I'll go... God damn it! I was just—that's <laughs> crazy. But I just—I just had an experience where the last podcast where I ran into some people that I that I met for the first time, and and one of them said, "Oh, I really uh, I I enjoyed when you were subbing in on the Kelly Ripa show," and uh, you know I don't know if you ever really wanted to do that job long term. And then I just proceeded to tell the story about what happened, like, "Oh, and here's here was the behind the scenes." And they were like, okay, well, we got to go. And I walked away going, why did I just tell them that? <laughs> they didn't need to know all that. Oh, I'm an arrogant, I called Lydia and I was like, I'm such an arrogant piece of yeah. shit. Yeah. I don't know how to contact these people and tell them that I'm sorry yeah. that oh. I made a group of like 12 people listen to my dumb fucking story I about shit me. on your compliment. Posting. Yes. Oh, what was wrong with just saying thanks? Yeah, exactly. Have a great sure. day. Yeah. Have a great day. And so I beat myself up so, so horribly. And so just to hear you say like, when you joked earlier and you go, well, you know other people see you the way you see yourself. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the takeaway from that was, and I still hate myself for it, but God damn it, it's just so nice to hear you say, like, you know, just, you I, don't know everything. Yeah, and it's also that uh, there's a, the Jack story where the guy's car breaks down in the desert, 
and who's, who's walking to the gas station, which is like a mile away, and he's saying, that guy's going to gouge me. He's going to cheat me because he knows I'm over a barrel. And then when he gets there, he's like, you son of a bitch! You know? <laughs> and it's, you know, it's that kind of thing where it's like you have projected a certain thing, and that's your reality, and that's it. Right. And that is a fucked way to live. It is. But I also know that, uh, and this, this, bent my, this bent my mind one time, I think I, th- I think my therapist said this to me, or I read it somewhere. But let's just say she said it. She said, not Pamela, but the one I'm talking to now. She said, um, "Whatever you think about yourself, you're right." And I was like, "Holy shit!" Wow. Because you manifest, you create that reality. So if you tell yourself you're a piece of shit, you are because you believe it, yeah. and so you manifest that, and you make choices along those lines. And she, she doesn't mean it in a universal sense, but it's just that that's what you make true for yourself. Right. So in other words, you really do have to have better self-talk and better, you know, mm-hmm. don't, don't always. Well, it's hard to just assume that – it's hard to believe that something that you've trusted for so long might not be right. Because it's like also your ability to discern what's funny – has worked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So why would you think that the things that you perceive that are negative are not right? Right. That yeah. is a hard one to let go. Right. You know? Especially if you want to believe that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Do you have any, like, uh, is, it, is it meditative or is it, do you just go, eh, I'm not going to bother with thinking that right now? Yeah, I don't meditate, Chris. <laughs> okay. I know I'm a native of Los Angeles, <laughs> but no. Um, I'm too fidgety for that stuff, even though I know it's good. It's great. Jonah's been doing it. So I know. Calm, I remember you talking about that. That's yeah. so great. It's real nice. It's uh, I'm a bit more uh, precise with my actions on a day-to-day basis. That's fantastic. Yeah, and if I don't, I feel it real bad. Like I was talking to Emily like yesterday. I was like, it's a uh, like I feel like if I don't do it, my brain by the end of the day feels like it's going to vibrate out of my skull. Wow! If I mean, do it, Oscar happen. nominee Emily B. Gordon. Oscar yes. nominated. <laughs> I am. Yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's like so. It's that stuff. It's it's real nice. And I did the same thing where I'm like, I can, my brain's popping all over the place. I can't meditate. Can't clear my mind. Mm-hmm. But when you find there's all these different types of meditation. When you find the one that says to you, oh, it's okay if you can't clear your mind. Mm-hmm. You know, just. Like just when the thought comes, or the way uh, Jerry Seinfeld talks about TM, he says it's like it's you're when you're meditating, it's like you're in a boxing match with your thoughts, and you're just bobbing and weaving, and they, you're just letting the thoughts pass oh, by you, that. and you're not like you're not getting in front of the thought and then holding on to it. Yeah, you're dodging them, and then that's it, beautiful. And so when troubles come at you throughout the day, it's like you know, like I used to be the kind of person where one little thing or one one bad tweet, one text where I maybe messed up. You know, socially or something like that, I would just hold on to it, and now I kind of, kind of just go, well, you know, I'll, it's like if if it does, if it is something that's serious, I will, it will, I will come back to it. But mm-hmm. if it doesn't really matter, but I, that's the the idea of clearing your mind is really can largely be at the basis of addiction. Of mm-hmm. you're just trying to clear your mind. Yeah, it's just too many thoughts. Don't want to feel all these things. Mm-hmm. Don't want to feel yeah. all these feelings or think all these things. Don't yeah. think all these thoughts. Yeah, it's just but it's like, and I think it's like feel them, think them. But don't like you know don't let them control you, right? right. You know, and that's what I like about the meditation, and it's been 
Fantastic. Can they make that on a pill? Kidding. <laughs> Kidding. I'm going to talk to my friends up at Big Pharma, see if we can get a TM pill. No, you, need, to, no, you need someone to blow it in your asshole. It gets in your bloodstream a lot faster. Yeah. That's a little personal. Can you, uh, can but, you blow some meditation into my asshole? <laughs> oh, uh, but if you read uh, David Lynch's book, uh, Catching the Big Fish, it's, uh, it's this book where he just kind of has these little blurbs. Who, uh, who's uh, the David, author? David Lynch. Oh, David Lynch. Yeah. He's, uh, he's oh, my real, goodness. Into the, real big into the TM movement. And he has a book called Catching the Big Fish. And it's wow. uh, it's just this it's his thoughts on creativity. He also has like you know there's all these some chapters are just four sentences long. It's just this like quick little book to read, and um, uh, it's you know some of the chapters are just about how he likes going to like Bob's Big Boy style diners and getting a chocolate oh. shake, and like he says that there's something so neat about sitting and just drinking something you like and then like watching people. That's just being present. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And that's that's you know Tim is a very it, it does help you be present. Um, but like I had the book for years. My friend Donald uh, gave it. To, he bought it for me because it was like David Lynch stuff, and uh-huh. I was like, "That's cool." And he was at the bookstore, and he looked across the other side of the bookstore, and Matt Groening was there. <gasps> and so he's like, "Hey, it's wow. my friend's birthday. I got him this book. Could you sign it?" So Matt Groening in my David Lynch book has a true picture of Bart saying, "Yo, Jonah, oh my God. happy birthday." Uh, I had nothing to do with this book, but I love David Lynch. <laughs> so if I read that book, will I understand Firewalk with me? Yes. No, 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 you still won't. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. no. You still, that's a story that's happening in his head. Yeah. Uh, in the book, does Dream it... logic. <laughs> <laughs> Transcendental. But, but, you know, this... Yeah, that, that very thing, I think, is so vital of, of being... The, pre, the being present thing, I think, is what we try to avoid... When we're trying to distract ourselves with whatever it is, work or drugs or alcohol mm-hmm. or sex or anything, that it's just we're afraid to be present because if we feel how we feel in a moment, that might be not pleasant. But I think ultimately when we actually know how to really genuinely be present, it's a wonderful thing. It's, yeah. it's a wonderful feeling. Thing and feeling. It's, feeling. A, yeah. it's, a, it's a feeling. <laughs> it's a feeling. <laughs> Dancing on the feeling. <laughs> Is that the line of Richie Thong? Yes. <laughs> That's my favorite. Also, Mom always said, don't play ball in the house. Uh, are you doing any live performance now? Um, I do Sketch Fest every year. Yep. Um, uh, right now, what am I thinking? Um, well, the only... I don't know if I can talk about this, because it was just a pilot that I recorded for a podcast, because, you know, the world needs more of those. <laughs> hey, listen. It's, uh, it's totally fine. You know, the um, more podcasts, the better. People... Get their specific podcast needs met. It is a golden age. Well, this is the thing. I was, you know, filling out forms in, in offices, and whenever they say, what's your hobby? I think, you fuck, what? No, I don't have a hobby. I love to eat in front of the TV. That's what I love to do. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to make that a show. So with Emily Fleming. Yep. Uh, oh, my God, that's great. Yeah. I, She's a writer on At Midnight. Yeah, I know. Funny. She's very good stand-up and writer. Um I came up with the show, Eat in Front of the TV. So we, you know, uh, talk about what you wear when you eat in front of the TV and what happened to that piece of clothing that it's come so low. <laughs> uh, what do you eat? And then what do you watch? And the pilot, we had Henry Zabrowski on. Nice. And he chose Project Runway, which was, it was, it was so great. It was, it was really good. So we've edited it, we've submitted it, and we'll see what happens. God, Emily is so funny. I met her in New York. She was working at the Jack Spade store. She was working as retail clothing. And, you know, comics just recognize other comics. And the second she started talking, I, I was like, what do you do? And she was like, well, you know, I'm a comedian. I'm like, I knew it! And then we became friends, and, and she moved out to L.A., and 
I said, you should come on at midnight. And she came on and destroyed the yeah. first time she was on. Yeah. So we kept having her back and a slot opened up and we offered her a, a writing position. And she, that was a very hard, that was a, that was a, a deceivingly hard show to get right away in terms of how to, how to build it. And she just like right out of the gate, you know, her suggestions and jokes were so great. Yeah. And uh, she's just funny as shit. I'm so glad you guys yeah. became became friends she's and are doing really... a thing together. Well, is there anything else you want to plug or promote? Do you have any animated things? Um, or what do you... Well, I'm, let's see. There are two that have not been announced, so I can't talk about them. Um, one is a sequel to a Guillermo del Toro show that I did, uh, Troll Hunter. In fact, when I recorded it, um, I had just heard your interview with him. Oh, great. And so I, I wore my Famous Monsters T-shirt with all these masks on it, just in case. But I thought, well, he's so busy. He's not going to be there. Well, he was there. Oh, right. And so we're figuring out these sounds for these characters. He says, well, I wanted to sound like Miss Hathaway from the Beverly Hillbillies. It's like... God, how do you know that <laughs> shit? You know, he's so brilliant. Yeah. But um, and so there's another one. Oh, I got to just tell you this one thing that I found Please. out. The sets for uh, Shape of Water were repurposed sets from The Strain. Oh no! Oh way. wow! Isn't that amazing? Oh, cause I right, just cause found that like, out. He like called in a ton of favors for Shape yeah. of Water, right? So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, worked out. Yeah, painted it. Sure did. Did it. Yeah. I, I read a theory about. As I call it, the shape of masturbating in water. But it's, uh, but there's there's a theory that the main character was a fish person. Yes. Oh, okay, you already. Well, I figured I'm, that was the whole thing with the scars on. Yeah, her neck. she was. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Great. Well, I just, I, there was a, I just want to make sure you guys yeah. remember the thing you already yeah. knew. Yeah. Um, yeah Emily Heller she had, had gills. That's why she could breathe yeah, underwater. Exactly. Emily Emily they Heller were, had a great joke about uh, that. She's like, she's like, I called bullshit on uh, Shape of Water when she masturbated in the tub and didn't use the faucet. For that. <laughs> <laughs> I, heard that. I love her. I can picture her saying yeah, it. It's so good. Oh, that makes it even funnier. Oh. That's so funny. You know, I, I always I always tease Lydia uh, like I. She was. She goes. She'll because she'll say things like that that are somewhat. She goes. I know. I'm Captain Obvious. I go. No, no. You're Admiral Obvious. You have. You're way higher in the ranks than Captain. And I did something the other night, and she was like, oh, "Are you Admiral now?" Like, it was just really funny. Chop. So I got to have my Admiral. You know what I think, you guys? Yeah. I think she was a fish yeah. person the whole time. You know the thing that you the movie said cinematically. The ob- <laughs> stating the obvious that everybody else already knows. Yeah. Listen, I'm the point it. is, yeah. I just wanted something else to beat myself up over to supplant the other thing that yeah. I was beating myself You're up over. You're gonna get this out of the podcast, aren't you? No, I'm leaving it in. I'm leaving it. <laughs> in <laughs> because I deserve to have it be left in. <laughs> oh, Chris, no. yeah. Chris, you're a public service. Come on. <laughs> yeah, you're right, Lorraine. <laughs> Learn from my stupid idiot mistakes. God damn it. Fuck. <laughs> and then you guys just slowly back out. He's having a thing by himself, I think. But, uh, you know, I, I've always been so delighted and pleased by what a kind and supportive, not just comedy fan you are, but human being that you are. Oh, thanks. And I, I've appreciated that you were a fan of At Midnight and you, you came to see the before my last special, you came to the practice show at Meltdown. and She was so nice that she appeared in a sketch in Hidden uh, America. That's how, nice, that's how nice she is. But wow. just know that you are adored and appreciated. Thank you so much, you guys. And thanks. I'm, and I'm so happy that you came I, I'm so delighted to do it. I love your show so much. And your shows. Oh, very thank, much. Thank you for staying here. Yeah. 
Sometimes there's a third guy on the podcast, but he's MIA. Yes, I love Matt. Ever, yeah, si- yeah. ever since he... We, uh, you know, we, we, we love him, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you he's know, great. whenever he gets a girlfriend, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> we don't see him. <laughs> yeah, it kind of was. Yeah. It was yeah. But now Matt's like... He was working so much that I think he just fell off the map after. Yeah, I, like I've done that before too. Where it's like it's like I I was like oh I'm I'm gonna like I'll tell you like I I'm I'm finishing work this week and then I'm free to do podcasts and then I finish work I'm like I don't want to do and yeah. it's just the marathon. It's like okay I know the finish line is over there if yeah. I can just crawl to it and then once <laughs> I'm past it. Then don't touch me. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to fall. So he's just, yeah. he's recharging right he now. He wants yes. to eat in front of the TV. He yeah. wants to eat in front exactly. of the TV. Any good shows that you're watching that you want to throw out there? Oh, my God. You their- know, uh, Nordic Noir and Horror on Netflix is the best. Yeah, and they got also, stuff on Shudder, too. Yeah, yeah, thank you for referring me to Shudder. Oh, great. That's yeah. been a great resource for my horror Oh, great. Yeah, that's right. yeah we had this conversation yeah. the yeah. last time we were pitching each other horror movies. Yeah. yeah. And that but, stream, the streaming channel thing they do is so great, too. Yeah. You can just turn on, like, like the Slashix channel. I know. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. The psychological thriller channel. Yeah, yeah. Evil yeah. Grin. Oh, there was a really fun one. I think it was called Veronica, maybe? I think it's a Spanish... Ah, it's Spanish horror, but it's like a demon possession mm-hmm. kind nice. of. A oh yeah, Spanish. D was talking about that. She wants to watch. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, and it was, Cold Hell is their new one that's supposed to be really good. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, German. but I want to. Yeah. Oh, and I was gonna actually um, see if the Beatnik sketch was on the SNL app. Oh, I hope it uh, is. So let me just see really fast mm-hmm. if. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Oh no. No. no, this one didn't come up. But it's still like you know. Again, did you do you ever visit SNL ever, or is it just like? I uh, I think I was there for well, obviously the fortieth, and yeah. before that it was just um, I happened to be in New York for something, and I don't remember what it was. But I don't go to New York that often. If right. I do, it's you know, it's uh, it's sometimes it's just a hassle to get tickets, and I always want to see the dress rehearsal because to me those are better to see because you see sketches that are cut yeah. eventually and will never be seen again, which is so unfortunate. Oh, I can't even imagine the treasure trove of... Oh, well, that's why I love Seth, um, who has this talk show. Seth, Myers? Seth Myers. Myers. He has, um, what is it, rerun theater? Oh, or right, unappre- right, right. Unappreciated theater or something like that. Yeah. And he does the sketches that didn't make it. That's what I liked about Tim Robinson's uh, episode of Characters on Netflix. Cause oh, was, I haven't seen that it's, yet. It's my favorite one of that that like you know that one season they did where everyone had did their sketches. But they're clearly all the sketches he wrote that didn't make it in while he was writing at SNL, and so they're just like all amazing. Tim Robbins. Tim Robinson. He's a, he's one of the oh. co-stars of uh, Detroiters, which is okay know, with uh, Sam Richardson, one of the funniest shows on television right now. I got to check that out. Comedy Very Central. Great. Yeah, Comedy okay. Central. Yeah, you know, sometimes I'll go back and watch Comedy Central. Oh, <laughs> God. Remember when I we had to, when we were back. dominating the late night blocks, Remember Chris? when we were on top, the man. <laughs> we were on top of the late night. And now we, we sit at home and watch Kumail on <laughs> Emily. I was big once. Yeah. <laughs> Remember when we were sandwiched in the lower middle of late night? <laughs> <laughs> living large. Yeah. yeah, living medium. <laughs> so you're going right for the middle Sweet of the night. Sweet point. Zero zero three share. We were not flying. Uh, it's hard for me to understand. Uh. <laughs> really, I'm so good. I'm sorry. We were sitting over here talking about ourselves, and you're the guest. That's all right. No, I got to get going. What? I got to go to another podcast. I'm doing the Trailers from Hell podcast with uh, Joe Dante. 
How dare! Oh, oh, I've never aren't heard you of that. Fantastic one. and fancy. Well, Jonah, get, get out. Apparently, meet Joe Dante. I'm, I'm very excited, but yeah. also I'm scared because um, the reason I'm on is he's not a very big fan of Mystery Science Theater and never really has been. He finds it uh, um, insulting to cinema. So, what so is I'm this there to an kind exploratory? Of, yeah. Yes, I, I'm here to be like, well, I. I think there's room for all of it. Well, Mr. <laughs> it's okay Dante. to, yeah. you know, make fun of stuff yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Growing up, I loved uh, Gremlins and Mr. Science Theater, and I never felt that you should separate them. Oh, my God. You have to let me know how that Darn goes. It. I will. All right. Have uh, fun. Bye, Jonah. Bye. Thank you. Bye, Lorraine. Good to, Good to see, see you. you Thank you so much. Mwah. And I'll talk to you soon because I've got to have her on Jonah Radio. She's a big EDM head. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yes. you got to come to our festival. The ID10T Festival. 10T has EDM? Yes, yes, there's a big EDM, and we're moving it to Orange County this year. Oh my God. You'll be on the guest list. I'll give you some passes. Oh my God. But now I I feel like Katie should end the podcast because you love her voice so much. Here, you you say the thing. Enjoy your burrito. There it is. You said like a question. You know. (laughs) So cute. You phone dropping. (laughs) I'm kidding. All right, the end. Thank you. ID10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito.